One of the phrases that I've heard in a show, I don't even remember which show it was, but uh, a couple months ago was, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. Really good advice, right? Because oftentimes our minds, our emotions are in places different than our feet are, different than our physical body is. And as we talk about simplicity this morning, I think that is a good reminder for us. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand as I read a passage to get us started. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 1 through 12. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It's on page 528 in the Pew Bible. This may be a very familiar passage to some of you. Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. So don't let the familiarity of this passage and the coffee mug nature of this passage, uh, don't allow it to, to let you tune it out. Let's hear God's word together. My son... Or my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves the one that he loves, as a father, the son, or the daughter in whom he delights. Lord, may you help us to embrace simplicity with you this morning, for we desperately need it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. I don't remember who it was that told me this a while back, but a a pastor told me that, Andrew, you need to find your limits, or your limits will find you. Find your limits or your limits will find you. This picture is of my daughter, Oakley, sitting with me this morning as I was scrambling to get my sermon done and ready for you. This is about 6 a.m. this morning, and Oakley started kindergarten this year. And kindergarten is pushing her limits. She has been, uh, if you know Oakley, she has a big personality, she has a lot of opinions, and she has very strong opinions. And being pushed to her limits in kindergarten, yes, it's kindergarten, right? You're learning how to paint and color and socialize and listen to instruction from a teacher. She does go to Spanish immersion school, which I think adds a little complexity to it, but it's pushing her limits. I struggled to learn how to paint in English. She's learning how to paint in Spanish, so that's got to be an extra challenge, right? And as her limits are being pushed, it's creating this extra energy in her. She's, She's extra tired. She's extra worn out. She has more stimulation Monday through Friday than she is used to. And so this morning, she popped out of bed before 6 a.m., and she was a little bit worked up, uh, uh, just, just had energy. And I was like, oh, great. This is supposed to be my quiet time, prepping my heart before preaching. And now she's awake, asking me for food, asking if she can sit on my lap, asking if she can just be a part of what I'm doing. And, and so I let her sit next to me for like a minute she fell asleep. And she slept like that for two hours. And she's being pushed up against her limit. And in that, she needs rest. 
She needs to be in a space and an environment where she feels safe and secure. She, she trusts me. She was in the space. I mean, she woke up, right? And everybody else is sleeping. And, and you know how when you're the only one awake, sometimes it's really peaceful. But sometimes, also, if you don't want to be awake, it, it, it's kind of stressful. And it, and it works you up. And just knowing that there's a, the presence of somebody else around can help to calm your spirit, calm your soul. And this is Oakley this morning experiencing her limits being tested and pushed. And we're all bumping up against our limits, aren't we? With, with our information overload, we've talked about this throughout the sermon series, the amount of information that you and I have to deal with today, it's, it's untenable for the human mind. We weren't created for that. And so as we talk about simplicity this morning, I, I, I want to share with you that simplicity requires accepting our limitations and putting limits on our intake, our output, and our schedule. Our, our intake, our output, and our schedule. Now, I've been wrestling with this for, like I've been saying throughout this whole sermon series, for a year and a half. And this week I was out deer hunting and I didn't get a deer, so animal, animal rights activists, you'll be happy about that. There was nothing for me to shoot. Um, but I sat in the woods all week just staring at the woods. I had very little intake. Most of the places that I hunt, I don't have cell service. I had very little output, nobody to talk to, and nothing on my schedule just sat there. And in this place, I experienced so much simplicity, so much calm and stillness with the Lord. And it reminded me, as I've been thinking through this idea of simplicity and even prepping to preach it, that these are really biblical ideas. This idea of limiting, I mean, we are limited, right? Even if you, this, this passage from Proverbs Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You have limited understanding. So trust in someone who has greater understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We can't even carve out the paths of our life. We make plans, but we can't even execute our plans. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so this morning, I simply want to walk through this and look at some biblical examples of what it looks like for you and I to, to limit our intake, our output, and our schedule. And, and I think as we talk about limiting our intake, our output, and our schedule, you will realize how this helps aid in a flourishing relationship with God, with yourself, and with others. Right throughout the sermon series, it's, it's intimacy, authenticity, and simplicity with God, self, and others. And these three are interconnected and interrelated. And oh, how our soul needs it. So I want to start with intake this morning. We're going to talk about limiting our intake. And we're going to look at how Jesus, in fact, calls us to limit our intake. Flip over to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 6. We're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning. So grab a Bible, have it with you. I want you to flip around and see these passages for yourself as we go. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. It's on page 823 in the Pew Bible. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And with a stark warning for teachers to be careful what they're teaching. For anyone who has influence over somebody younger in the faith or younger in years to be careful where you're leading people. But keep this in mind here as we think about simplifying our intake, what we take in. A child has a simpler level of intake, right? Their vocabulary is more simple. Their, their, their ability to understand and know things is more simple. Their level of trust and dependence is higher. At least they're more aware of their level of trust and dependence. I mean, those of you new parents, you know this, right? You do everything for your child. You feed your child. You change your child's diaper. You lay your child down. And then you lay your child down again. And then again. And then again. And then again. It's exhausting. And your child is literally helpless without you. They are fully dependent on you. And Jesus here is calling his disciples to become like children. That we are dependent. We must surrender. We must trust him. And in order to do this, we have to limit our intake. Jesus calls us to have childlike faith. I talked about this with the, with the intimacy sermons back in September. Jesus calls us to have childlike faith. That doesn't mean childish faith doesn't mean we don't ask hard questions and, and ask deep questions and, and that we don't take in a lot of information and good information. But we are limited in what we can intake. We will become overwhelmed and overburdened and burnt out and stressed if we try to take in more than we can handle. And Jesus' call to you and I here is to come to him like children in simplicity says, whoever come, becomes like a child will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven by knowledge and knowing more and doing more and having more answers. We are called in the scriptures to have childlike faith, trusting God when we don't understand, leaning on God when our strength runs out, sleeping in God's presence when our limits are pushed. Right? It doesn't mean just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep receiving more information, keep understanding all the details. Right? And, and some, this is some of the stress for many of us. There's things in life that we don't know. There's things happening in culture and in politics, and there's things in scripture and theology that we just don't know. And sometimes we work ourselves up into a frenzy, and we actually add to our burnout by trying to know more, trying to know more, taking more information and taking more voices and taking in more and it has us stressed out and leaning towards burning out. And Jesus says, come to me, those who are like children will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's strategic here that he gives us warning about teachers. Because in our world right now, you can find anyone to teach you anything that your itching ears want to hear. And so Jesus warns, he says, the posture of a disciple... The posture of an apprentice is to come to me like a child. And then those who are teachers, those who are, who are making disciples, be very careful with what you teach. And we're going to see this play out in some other passages here. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to go quickly through these. If you were here over the last year, we preached through 1 Corinthians. So this will be familiar to you, but let's do a quick overview. So remember Jesus' warning to teachers, to be careful. And then look at what the Apostle Paul does when he comes to the church in Corinth. 
Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, Paul knows that the, the amount of input that this church was receiving from all these different teachers, all these different voices, all these different cultural commentaries and, and, and religious commentaries was overwhelming them. And they were starting to make comparisons about different teachers because they all had different thresholds for intake. And please don't hear me say that we should not grow and learn and push ourselves. We absolutely need to grow and learn and push ourselves. But we also have to humble ourselves and be reminded that we have a certain threshold of ability to intake information. And if we keep pushing that threshold, we will be burnt out and we will just get confused. We won't know truth from a lie any longer. And that's what Paul's concern is here for the church. And all these different voices are, are swirling around and it's confusing the church and it's also creating little camps within the church. And so he says, when I came to you, I came proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the testimony of God, not with lofty speech or worldly wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the simplicity of the message that Pastor Paul brought to the people in Corinth. And then look at verse 16. He says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. So going through this passage and in the context here, there's all this different information, all this intake that the church is hungry for and wanting and grabbing onto. And his point here in verse 16 is, is that who can understand the mind of the Lord? And it's kind of like a rhetorical question. Who, who can fully understand? If you, you go to Isaiah chapter 55, it says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. Who can understand them? And, and here Paul is playing on that saying, who can understand the mind of the Lord? But then he answers it, but we have the mind of Christ. See, simplicity follows intimacy. There's an order to this sermon series. Intimacy with God and then authenticity with yourself and others in the world leads to simplicity. And when we have intimacy with God, we understand God's heart and mind. And we know what we need to know to flourish in our faith. You will not know everything. You will not have answers to all of your questions. You will not understand all of the theological hot-button issues, all of the confusing passages, all of the cultural chaos. You won't. And so in humility, we need to recognize that we, we have a limitation to our ability to take in information, also to interpret information and to apply information, let alone understanding what's real information and what's misinformation in our day and age, right? And so Paul here is saying that, that we have the mind of Christ. We have what we need to know God, this isn't just an intellectual knowing of God. It's a relational, experiential knowing of God. Now let's look over to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at two passages in 1 Timothy, chapter 1 and chapter 6. It's on page 991 in the Pew Bible. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, starting with verses 3 through 7. Again, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who is pastoring in Ephesus at this time. And he says, And I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertions. Here's where you and I need to be careful with our, with our intake. Like I said, there's teachers who will teach anything that our itching ears want to hear. And Paul's warning to Timothy in Ephesus here is to be careful of how many voices you listen to, how many people are, are inputting information and doctrine into your life. Now, this is not me saying like, Narrow it down so that you only hear from me, right? That's cult-like activity. Don't do that. Have, have, have a wide variety of voices and people that you listen to, but then also in that be careful and discerning because your brain and your heart, remember these aren't totally disconnected things. The things that we think about also affect our emotions and how we feel about things. And, and they're limited in the emotions that we can process and the information that we can make sense of. And so Paul here is saying to be discerning because there are certain people, there are certain voices, whether it's in religion or politics or culture, who do not teach sound, biblical, faithful doctrine. The core things of the scriptures. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so he goes on in verse 4, he says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation. That is so rampant in our culture right now. And we've heard of conspiracy theories. They're all over the news. There's a reason why they're all over the news, because they're all over culture. And that's what Paul is getting at here. The more voices that you listen to, if you get too far extended, you're limited in what you can intake, but also it exposes you to all these potential conspiracy theories, to, to myths, to Endless genealogies trying to interpret like some of the crazy stuff out there. Even some of the race theories. Endless genealogies. And, and they promote speculation. I've been exposed to some, to some religious leaders who are making their money with speculating and we need to be careful about it. This doesn't mean that, that, that you can't watch the news, listen to the news, listen to things, and, and make some generalized interpretations. But church family, be careful. Because your mind and your heart, your soul, was not created to intake all of that information. And you are exposing yourselves to myths, genealogies, and speculation which will tear your soul apart and tear down the church of Jesus Christ. And here's the answer to it that Paul gives Timothy. He says, verse 5, the aim of our charge, and this is Christian leaders, so as you're assessing Christian leaders and, and which voices to listen to and which churches to be a part of, look for this character, but then also as a Christian human yourself who has influence and relationship with other people, this should be your charge. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart a good conscience, and a sincere or an authentic faith. That word sincere can be translated into authentic as well. 
That's the call for Christians. We need to limit our intake so that we're not exposing ourselves to things that lead us away from the truth, that expose us to false and destructive doctrine. Now flip over to chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. In the same letter, Paul continues to warn Timothy. Pick it up in verse 3. He says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And I love here that, that Paul says, a different doctrine that doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. It's not this incredible, expansive knowledge and interpretation of theology and history and politics and culture. It's the simplicity that you are a sinner saved by grace. That's the gospel, right? That's what Paul came in in, in Corinth saying, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is, this is the church's A-game. This is what we're all about. Now, there are all these different little things that if you feel called to, if you feel equipped to, and if you can maintain your soul and actually make disciples in other areas of life, that you can dabble in those other areas. But the essence of Christianity and the gathering of God's people is to focus on the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and overcame sin and death in the grave so that you and I could be saved by grace. Amen? So what Paul is saying here, sound teaching that accords with godliness not caught up in speculation and controversy and, and chaos. And verse 4, he says, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And again, this is a person who teaches something other than the gospel. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. And quarrels about words. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. This, this is so rampant in our culture right now. Unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Just look at the fruit of certain leaders, certain movements, certain groups, certain camps. Jesus says that you, you will know a tree by its fruit. So if there's a, a movement, a voice, a, a religious leader, or, or, or some kind of group that if you're honestly assessing it and you see that it's producing envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction, friction among people, maybe you ought to limit your intake and say, I'm not going to receive input from that tree because that fruit is rotten. He goes on, verse, verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, what an appeal to simplicity. Godliness, a godly way of living, a, a godly way of life. With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Last week we looked at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus warns us about possessions and money. And this is an appeal here to just be careful God blesses all of us in different ways. And so money's not bad, but it is a, a, something that you've got to be careful with. And he's reminding us here, you brought nothing into the world, you will leave the world naked and empty. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we'll, we will be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And, and as we think about limiting our intake to a lot of teachers make a lot of money out of stirring controversy. Our world is run by clickbait and sound bites right now. And so that's why we need to be careful with what we are receiving, the information that we are receiving. We need to be discerning with information so that we protect our soul. Simplicity requires it. Knowing that we have a limitation with what we can intake, what kind of information we can take in, and how we process that information. Now let's move on to output. Output. And so that's some words about intake. We also have to be careful with our output and acknowledge that we have limitations with our output. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2 to see the beginning of this. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And if you remember Genesis chapter 1, God has just created the heavens and the earth. All things. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Isn't that amazing? God himself limited his output. He didn't need to. God is, God is limitless. So while you and I have limitations, we need to set limits, we need boundaries so that we can function, God doesn't. When we sleep, God is awake. That's a truth from Scripture that ought to encourage you to sleep well. To, to, to say no, to take a break, to take time off, to take vacation, to take a Sabbath. When you sleep, when you stop, God stays awake and God keeps working. But he models for us here in the, in the very creation narrative, rest, limiting output on the seventh day. God himself rests, and again, he doesn't need to. He does it to model for us what we need. Flip over to Mark chapter 2. See how Jesus comes onto the scene now and makes this principle helpful and beneficial for us. It's on page 838 in the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 2. And so this principle, the Sabbath, right? God resting on the seventh day. In the Old Testament, it was the Sabbath, the seventh day where God's people would rest. So in the New Testament here, it's still being practiced by Jews and Jesus comes onto the scene and, and he kind of reorients his followers to how to experience the Sabbath. So pick it up in verse 23. It says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, which was outlawed, on the Sabbath by the Jewish leaders. And the Pharisees were saying to him, to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. 
and also gave it to those who were with him. So David broke the Old Testament form of Sabbath because he was hungry. There was a practical, real need. Jesus here is doing the same thing with his disciples. They're walking through a field on Sabbath, taking heads of grain, which is unlawful to do on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders, catch him breaking the religious rules. And they question him on it. And here's his answer, verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus here, it's this big theological point that he's making that I actually am above the Sabbath. I'm not below the Sabbath. I'm not below the law of God. I, I am the creator. I am God's son. I am God incarnate. I rule and reign over the Sabbath. So that's one of the deep theological points here. But then he's also making this very practical point here that the Sabbath, the seventh day of rest, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We are not enslaved to the rules of God. God created rules to help us flourish in life. Jesus' point here is this, this gift, this, this day of observance, this day of rest, this day of saying no, is supposed to be a gift for mankind. It's supposed to be a reminder that we are limited in our output, that we cannot sustain working seven days a week. And many of you know this, many of you experience it. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you keep bumping up against your limitations and you experience the weakness in your flesh and the, and the withering of your soul. And what we are called to do in Scripture is to acknowledge our limitations, put limits on our output, and take some time off. Again, this is not a law. Jesus says this day was made for you. You weren't made for it. And so you don't have to conform to this in order to get God's favor. Because God favors you, he has given you this blessing of a Sabbath. Now, real quickly, we looked at this passage last week. I just want to look at it one more time for those of you who weren't here last week. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. It'll be a review for those of you who were here last week, but it's, it's so good and so profound. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. And when it was day, he, being Jesus, departed and went into a desolate place. I talked more about this last week, so if you missed that sermon, you can go back and listen to it, but a desolate place is where Jesus would pull away to spend time with God the Father. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. In this passage, we see Jesus himself limiting his output. Saying, I have a specific purpose. And this comes from intimacy with God. Because he was pulling away into desolate places to be with God the Father, he had enough relational bandwidth and trust of God that he knew God's heart. And he had enough clarity around his purpose, his calling, that he was able to say no to the things that he should say no to and yes to the things that he should say yes to. And this is where you and I need to learn limiting our output. Oftentimes we say yes to things that we should say no to and we say no to things that we ought to say yes to. And it's because we haven't spent enough time with God or ourselves to get to know God and to get to know ourselves and to know where we ought to expend ourselves. The Bible doesn't call us to be lazy. Right? The Apostle Paul, he, he says that I've, I've been poured out like a drink offering. He talks about proclaiming the gospel and planting churches and going into towns and cities, proclaim the gospel to the point that, that he is weak and tired and worn out. So it's not calling for laziness, but it's calling for a strategic and obedient 
outpouring. Not just where you're doing everything all the time because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses or you're trying to impress the... I almost said one of your last names. Um, I don't, maybe there are Joneses here. I don't know. Any Joneses? Sorry, you always get picked on if you're a Jones. Um, we need to limit our output so that it's in alignment with what God wants us to do and the purpose that he's given us. Right? Lastly, schedule. Let's look at this piece of schedule, how the scriptures call us to limit our schedule. Start in Matthew chapter 6. And again, I looked at this one last week. It's a good reminder as we think about our schedule, our daily activity. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious, or some translations say worried, about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Jesus is literally telling you, live your life day by day. Today is going to be filled with things that you can't control. You probably have a schedule. And Jesus isn't saying don't schedule anything. Right? He's not just saying go about life totally spontaneous, unplanned, unscheduled. And we're going to talk about this a little bit with these next two passages. But he is saying there is enough things that happen every single day that you have no control over, that are out of your control, that create stress and anxiety and worry in you, that you need to limit your schedule so that you have margin in your life to deal with the things that God brings up. Sometimes God brings up opportunities in your life. Other times it's people bringing things up in your life and it's an opportunity that God wants you to step into. And if we're too scheduled, too planned, too in control of our own life and our own schedule, we cannot respond to what God is asking of us. And Jesus is just calling a spade a spade. Today has enough unknowns of its own. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop planning for tomorrow. Abide in Jesus today. Flip over to James chapter 4 on page 1013 in the Pew Bible. James chapter 4. Look at verse, and this whole, this whole passage, this chapter 4 is amazing. Um, and it'll show you a lot of things that create stress and anxiety in our life and, and com complicate our life and, and try to steal our simplicity and our joy. Let's just zero in on verses 13 through 17. James, the brother of Jesus, instructs us. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Sounds familiar, right? It's almost like James was listening to his brother Jesus. After the fact, he was a skeptic before Jesus' resurrection. And wouldn't you be too? Your brother was claiming to be God? Like, I don't know. You do seem better than me. But also, you're my brother and I want to be better than you. So I can't quite, I can't quite believe what you tell me. It was in the resurrection that he started to believe. Okay, he, Jesus was on to something. Maybe he wasn't lying. So he says, today or tomorrow, you will go into such and such a town and, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whatever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. As we live life, and many of you have these experiences where life just shifts on a dime, right? You get a phone call that everything has changed. Something happens in front of you. There's an accident. There's a, there's a diagnosis. There's a divorce. There is a drama, a trauma that happens, and everything changes. And the wisdom from Scripture is to not be so planned and so scheduled in your life that when things out of your control happen that you can't adapt to them. James says, you, you don't know what your life is. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And so... Live your life with open hands. Be careful with your schedule. You have limitations and make sure you allow for your limitations in your schedule so that you have margin, you have flexibility to process with God when things change, when things shift. One more passage, flip over to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then verse 9. It says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I think this passage is instructing us to make plans. Don't just sit by idly waiting for life to happen to you. Life will happen to you whether or not you're planning for it, right? Make some plans, but acknowledge that the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a, of a man are pure in his own eyes. See, see, part of our problem is oftentimes we like, to, we like to baptize our plans, our schedules. And we think it's pure, it's right. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. This is supposed to do with my day. This is what I'm supposed to do with all of my time. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. He knows our motives. He, know, he knows who he created us to be, what he's created us to to do. Ephesians says that he created good works for us to walk in. And so we need to leave enough margin and flexibility that we can be directed by him. Verse 3, he says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That verse doesn't really work with my logic, so I don't like that one. Um, no, he, he, I think the, this, the, the writer of the Proverbs here is teaching us, make plans, hold them with open hands, commit what you to, do to the Lord, and, and he's going to direct your path. He's going to direct your steps. Look at verse 9. He says, the, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes or directs his steps. This is simplicity for us, church family. When we realize our limitations and we actually accept our limitations, so because I am limited, I have to be strategic and intentional with the information that I take in. I have to be strategic and intentional with the activities that I do, with my output in life, and I have to be strategic and simple with my schedule, knowing that I'm not in charge of my life, my day, my time. I'm going to plan my day, my life, and my time with intentionality, but I'm going to hold it with open hands so that I could flex on a dime for the glory of God, the good of other people, and the advancement of the gospel. And this morning, as we close down, I just want to flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at this call to simplicity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we turn our eyes towards communion, 
the simple little act that we do week in and week out at Park Community Church that reminds us of the essence and the core of our faith. What a humble reminder of your and, your and my limited ability. Paul just simply says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. There's a lot of information coming at us, which seems incredibly important. A lot of things to, to take in, a lot of things to do, a lot of things to schedule. A pastor friend of mine uh, who, who is a self-acclaimed news junkie um, shared this story with me that he was, he was at his house one evening and he was like, scrolling the news and, and getting caught up on, on some horrific things that were happening in Africa. And it was like wrecking him. He was like very invested and very, very appalled by what was happening in this one country in Africa. And he was sharing it with his wife as his daughter was playing on the floor. And she was like, yeah, that is really sad. But your daughter doesn't care and you've been ignoring her for the last hour and there's dishes that I could use your help with. And, and he said for him, that was such a reminder that well, well, the, the genocide that he was reading about in Africa is m more important, or it, it's more weighty than his daughter needing to be played with on the floor and the dishes needed to be done. He couldn't do anything about it at that point. His ability to intake all of that information and then do something about it was limited and, and he forgot the most important thing, where he had influence right there and then was to serve his wife and to play with his child. And Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance. Sometimes we get confused about our priorities and, our, and, and the level of importance and we think that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it, yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. There's all these other things that need my attention. And Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so let's come to the table again this morning and be reminded of the first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that you and I have new life, and we can walk with him in simplicity. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you lived a simple life. Lord, in the midst of complexity, there was complexity all around you. Yet you prioritized intimacy with the Father. You lived authentically out of your true self. And you modeled for us simple living. So Lord, I pray that you would meet us now, even in this moment, that you would help us to simplify. Lord, help us to, to acknowledge and accept our limitations and then help us to set limits for your glory, for our good and the advancement of your gospel. And Lord, we come now to the table to receive your grace, to be reminded that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, there is salvation. We love you, Jesus. Have your way in us. Amen.